he didn't give us proof to like gain something in return. He he just wanted to find somebody that would love that it. would love it. I, I mean, love is definitely the right characterization because it's it's like a marriage. It's like it's it's really rough a lot of times, and then then a lot of times it's like blows your way. It's proof just proof has that that in it, and it and it has had it from from the first few moments. This is the Sourdough Podcast, the show about the innovators, leaders, and creative trailblazers in our sourdough community and the stories behind the bread. On this episode of the Sourdough Podcast, microbakery owners John Prisbel and Amanda Abu-Eid join me to talk about their journey from customers to owners of Proof Bakery in Mesa, Arizona. John and Amanda retell their life-changing decision to leave their office jobs to become bakers, transplanting proof to their own garage. They describe their array of 30 all-naturally leavened products, a typical week in their not-so-micro-bakery, and the relationships they've built with their customers and community that continue to motivate them to grow their business. Just a bit of fun news to share with you before the interview. Last week, I finally completed the permitting process and am now an official cottage food operator. In reality, I know it's just a piece of paper that allows me to legally sell my bread, but I'm excited about the potential it opens up and the ability to take my love for baking in a new direction. I'm most excited, however, to lean into this hobby that has allowed me to connect with my community in such meaningful ways connections that I believe only the sharing of bread can facilitate. My goal in starting this podcast was always to share the stories of the people in our sourdough community that inspired me the most, in hopes that it would inspire others to take their love of sourdough to the next level. And of course, what has happened in the last two years has been conversations with person after person that I found myself resonating with deeply and relating to my own experiences, and bringing me to this point I find myself now. I hope that this podcast continues to inspire you as it has me. I sincerely appreciate all my listeners, supporters, donors, and everyone who has reached out with encouraging words over these last couple years. So feel free to follow along as I navigate my new role as Cottage Baker. I wouldn't be here without all of you. If you feel like you've been inspired by the Sourdough Podcast, please consider supporting it by visiting thesourdoughpodcast.com and clicking on the donate button in the top right corner. Another way to help the podcast grow is by being sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Additionally, another easy thing you could do is to take a screenshot right now. I even give you permission to pause the podcast, so go ahead and share it on Instagram and be sure to tag me. I love resharing your posts, and of course, it's super helpful in sharing the podcast with others. As always, stay tuned after the podcast for music from Weston Perry. Today's episode features one of my favorite songs, Table. You can find it online, along with other great tracks, at westonperrymusic.com or wherever you download music. And now, here's my interview with John and Amanda of Proof Bakery. All right, my guests today are John Prisbel and Amanda Abu-Eid, owners of Proof Bread in Mesa, Arizona. Proof Bread is a micro-bakery that John and Amanda operate from their converted garage, selling the bread at several farmer's markets in the greater Phoenix area. 
John and Amanda took over Proof from the original owner just three short years ago when they learned the owner was moving out of state. Just a few days later, they decided to keep Proof going, showing up to learn the craft, and shortly after, buying Proof, starting their new careers as bakers. And I'm excited to have them on the podcast today to share their journey. John and Amanda, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Well, I, I've been looking forward to our conversation for a while and, and just wanted to hear you guys' uh, story. You guys have a unique story. But uh, before we get into it, maybe you guys can talk a little bit about your backgrounds prior to baking. And, and I mean, really, because as I understand, you know, sourdough and, and baking or just really the food industry uh, in general is, is pretty new for both of you. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so both of us kind of had more like office jobs <laughs> beforehand. Neither one of us were bakers. Um, I worked IT for an airline. Um, and then John was running his own kind of business that he had sold or transitioned out of. And um, yeah, so no prior experience to baking. And whenever whenever we meet people at the markets, it's so funny because like that's one of their first questions is like, oh, how'd you get into this? It's like we kind of fell into it. Yeah. And, and I mean, before proof, being new to just baking in, in the food industry, I guess in general, I'm curious like what your context for first sourdough even was I know because I know a lot of people have different understandings of sourdough uh, certainly if they're not even in the in the bread world um, what did you guys what was your conception of sourdough I think a lot of our background with sourdough was was first mine uh, with bread that's common in Poland and <laughs> and so sourdough bread and sourdough so wheats and rye. Uh, and I sort of introduced Amanda early on in our relationship to uh, traditional Polish bread, uh, especially when, when we were able to travel to Poland. Amanda worked for an airline, so we we used to get to fly around all the time. Uh, and so we would visit my parents who live in Poland. Okay. And, uh, we'd go to the store there, buy, buy what we thought to be just the most amazing bread, and we came back to Arizona hunting for something similar, and we improve. Uh, um, it was it was really hard to get proof at that time. It was a one man show. You could go to one farmers market uh, to to get proof, uh, and and this was also sort of early in our time knowing farmers markets. So. We weren't quite accustomed to having to wait until Saturday morning. But, <laughs> uh, so I, I used to like reach out to the old owner well before there was ever a, a clue that we would become the owners of Proof, uh, trying to get bread other times during the week. Uh, and and so we were we were definitely fans uh, showing up every single week for our Proof bread. Uh, so so in, in that sense, we had a buildup uh, for, for a, a little over a year, especially, uh, where, where sourdough bread was a staple in our house. Yeah. And, and so your, your family's Polish, John, and did you, did you grow up here in, in the States or in Arizona? I grew up in Chicago. Okay. In the suburbs of Chicago and ended up in Arizona, uh, during, during college, uh, to play tennis out here and never ended up going back home. 
it's it's just interesting conversation. I think that everybody brings with them into into baking as their you know their family food traditions and and it sounds like you know your family comes from like a European context of of bread and and you know sourdough and, and naturally leavened bread and uh, carrot. What was your uh, family background, Amanda, with uh, with bread growing up? So I actually grew up on pita bread. So sourdough was very foreign to me. And prior to finding proof um, and having the bread in Poland, I um, only knew like the gross like sourdough from the grocery store. And so I, I always thought like I did not like sourdough until um, – you know, until we started this endeavor and I found out what sourdough actually was. But mm. as far as like my roots, um, m- like I said, my family's Lebanese. We grew up on pita bread, but I actually grew up in farmer's markets. Um, really? Yeah. My mom uh, and dad had a, a like a stand in a market. Uh, I grew up in York, Pennsylvania. As like I spent my childhood there before we moved to Arizona okay. high school then. But, um, but yeah, I just like have such fond memories of like being a kid and kind of having this like freedom in a safe space at the farmer's markets um, and helping. That was like my first sense of responsibility is helping my mom market, you know, and, and the camaraderie and you know, it just like, felt so natural. And actually, that's part of the reason that we started. I mean, not only were we searching for good bread, but part of the reason that we started going to farmers markets was we wanted to expose our kids mm. to that too. So we have two girls. Yeah, it's such a, a unique kind of culture, you know, or finding food that way through farmers markets. I, I don't think a, you know, I think it's a small portion maybe of people in the states that that get their food that way. But you know, mm-hmm. for you, you, it sounds like it was extra special because that was just something you grew up with, and, yeah. and you, you know, you guys were able to share that. And it's so funny because even as a kid, like, I don't know, I just like felt like I sensed like, this is something cool and different and special. Like I get to see the like farmer's face, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> big deal. I think what I love about them is, is history of, of markets. The, the fact that markets have run in wartime and the fact that markets like this it, in the open air have been gathering for thousands of years in, mm-hmm. in every part of the world uh, and representing local, local food, local grains. And, and so, so it, it, to me, that's, that's quite appealing to be a part of this, even though it's such a small percentage of people today that, that look for food in that way, it, it, it isn't such a small percentage of people historically that have looked for food. Or probably, way. yeah, or even globally, you know, Nowadays, I I'd guess that a majority of people still get their food this way, and it's just maybe something that we're like just rediscovering in a sense. Yeah, here. that's definitely Arizona, and I, I know we're going to get into more of the details of proof, but Arizona has been going through a farmers market renaissance uh, of sorts, with farmers markets sort of popping up everywhere, and. And it's really been one of the main reasons why we've been able to, um, you know, pair proof and our and our past and and do so really well through that through that channel. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that. You know. So you guys, your customers of, of proof, uh, the original owner. What was what was the original owner's name? 
Jared Allen. Jared Allen. Okay, and and so you you were customers, and you had this this relationship with him already, and you're 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 kind of connecting with him on non uh, on the not on the weekends, trying to get bread when you whenever you can, and and it just, just yeah. Tell us about how how did that develop? How did you guys go from being customers to owners? This is I'm gonna I'm gonna have to. I'm going to have to give you guys just snippets of, of <laughs> I'm sure it's an, yeah, a long story, but, but it's, uh, Jared, Jared and I couldn't be more different in many ways, but, but he's such an amazing person. He is a father of eight at the time that we knew him back then it was seven. Uh, his wife is an artist, uh, and proof was a garage bakery first. Then it moved into a restaurant that he was also running at the time, and he was running proof simultaneously under one roof. The man is a hard worker uh, and is now in Kansas, uh, uh, still involved in baking. Uh, but anyway, uh, he when I met him, I was not working as many hours or as physically as he was, and and in general, just able to approach him with a whole lot of enthusiasm and excitement. Mm. And I remember being taken aback by the fact that he was not all that enthusiastic. And little do I, did I know that behind the scenes, you know, this is a man that, uh, like me, a, a few short months later, uh, was working 16 to 20 hour days, seven mm. days a week, you know, wow if you could get two or three hours of sleep a night, you know, that was, that was about, that was a good night. And then, and then on top of it, seven kids, uh, yeah. oh, geez. The, the environment we entered was one where he hadn't had a day off. It was mid June when we uh, first showed up to his garage and he hadn't had a day off since February. Oh, and, what, what year was this, John? Uh, 2017. Okay. And we would then shortly uh, live that ourselves. Yeah, you know, just two weeks after we first met, uh, we were on our own, and and I think that that's really if there's anything to share, that's it. Because the people listening to this uh, podcast will likely have an an idea or or an impression of what it what it might be like to uh, work in a bakery environment or or have an interest in baking enough to know that baking is not at all easy running a bakery is certainly not easy hmm. and going from no experience to running a bakery that's serving a couple hundred customers a week uh at the markets and seven days of sale, <laughs> uh, yeah. with two weeks on the job training um it was nutty uh it, it was june it was 120 degrees out we definitely did not have air conditioning in our garage. We didn't have enough power. I was uh, sledgehammering a metal pipe under uh, our front sidewalk to get uh, an electrical cord from uh, from our main uh, electrical panel to the garage. Oh, and by the way, we didn't own the house that I was doing this to. We were renting and uh, we would then like very quickly get into negotiations to buy the house a few months later where <laughs> I've already made a ton of modifications. To Wait, so, so let's, well, maybe we could rewind a little bit just, just for a little context. Like, so you, so you, so oh. Jared was in a, a different house making his products out of his garage and you guys bought it 
and then yeah. and then about a week and a half later, we had a Saturday morning where a bunch of us just put all the stuff on a utility trailer and moved it, <laughs> uh, or or rather to my landlord's house. Uh, now, now, like that sounds bad, but we were we did have the intention of eventually buying this house. We had already talked to our landlord about that, but that was about where we were at. Um, we were preparing, but we hadn't negotiated a price. We didn't confirm that he was going to sell it to us. Uh, we took like this giant kind of leap of faith in that moment. Uh, well, sort of let's thing. tell me, tell me more about that. I mean, that's what I'm most intrigued about is like, how do you, how do customers go to uh, owners without any, like where did, how did that whole process happen in your mind? Like wh- where, when did you guys decide like, how and why did you decide like we want to we we love this bread so much that we not only do we want to make it we want to be the owners of this this bakery yeah so it's a funny story we actually had just come back from um some time in poland in summertime um july june 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 of 2017 may june yeah yeah may, june. we had just returned and like we're still jet lagged, but John like poked me in the morning. He's like, come on, we got to go. We got to go to the market and we got to get our bread. So I was like so unwilling. He was like dragging me out of bed. But <laughs> we went and uh, Jared had um, a woman who was working for him at the stand. And so as soon as she saw us, because she would always save us like this four pound loaf, like we would get it because it would last us through the week. We were one of like four people that bought these giant four pound loaves that he only made four of, you know, because, because everybody else wants slightly smaller loaves of bread or yeah. much smaller loaves of bread. So we immediately became kind of really well known no. to the. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, she looked at us and was like, he's leaving. And John like panicked. <laughs> <laughs> I had a moment of panic. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? He's leaving. And, so she told she told us that you know he was his wife had gotten an opportunity um, through her art on the East Coast and so so that they were wanting to um, move and uh, we so John was like okay what the heck we got home we got our bread we got home and he was like I have to talk to him <laughs> and so he left and went to go talk to Jared. And I'm thinking like, oh, he's going to go get a recipe or something. And he comes back and he's like, he's selling the bakery. Can we buy it? <laughs> yeah. Like it's like a candy bar at the store. <laughs> like, Can we buy it? Now, I do want to back up just really quick and mention that I had some sort of a special, strange, obsessive connection to proof from the moment that I discovered it. Uh, it Jared posted a job opportunity a few mm. months prior on Instagram Mm -hmm. and, you know, very clearly said it was a $12 per hour part-time thing. And we, I mean, I was running a a business and, and supporting a family uh, and, and really required, required a lot more than $12 an hour to pay my bills. But something in the back of my mind was still like intrigued intrigued enough that I was asking Amanda, yeah, just go like work a part-time job it and was still very out of nowhere to be honest yeah, <laughs> i don't know what it was but it's funny because like 
only a few months later we would end up here you know so yeah so um just like that i was like okay yeah let's do it you know do it and i was thinking like it's gonna be johnson he, he came to me he's like it's just gonna be four to nine every morning like not a big deal i can still keep my job you know like so we were like when i said yes i did not expect <laughs> like the impact <laughs> like i was not braced for impact of like inheriting a bakery so yeah so, so it wasn't something you had to like talk her into for a few months or you didn't not that you had that time but <laughs> you, you, no, said, you were both on the same page it sounds like at least we were on the same page except we weren't like <laughs> we, we were on the same page but she was agreeing to a different page. something else <laughs> maybe like same page or, like or like same like numbered page from a different book or something. <laughs> Got it. So, so just, if you don't mind, can I just kind of, can we kind of chronologically continue? Yeah, definitely. So, so now the bakery's in our garage and I, I guess I just want to paint a picture of what this bakery is in that moment. It's 120 degree summer in Phoenix. Oh, uh, we specialize in sourdough croissants. We do not use commercial yeast at all. So we're doing things in really the hardest possible way right from the get-go. We did not at the time have a working fridge. The fridge we had uh, cooled down to maybe 60 degrees uh, on a good day. Um, there's no mixer. The... The oven that we have is a is a pizza oven that can bake eight loaves at a time, and it's super uneven. It's sort of like baking in a wood-fired oven where you, you got to move things around all the time in mm. order to not burn things. Mm-hmm. And in between bakes, 20 to 30 minutes just to get the thing back up to temp. Um, our convection oven that we had, the thermostat was busted. Uh, so like you could turn the heat on or off. Didn't that thing like uh, catch on fire? Oh yeah. Cause, uh, the, the wires going into it were barely connected. And so it would spark all the time that the side panel was completely off of it. <laughs> well, and this is all the equipment you guys learned on, like in yeah, the this is, prior. This is what we got. This, is, <laughs> this, this was like for, we, we wouldn't get any new equipment for like at least six months. We had a bread slicer that was missing one of the blades and, and, uh, and then the whole thing just like wobbled and barely, barely wow. was together. Um, it was, it was bare bones. It was, it was, you know, it was waking up at three in the morning. Oh, and then like Jared, Jared was like self mutilating with the way that he was working because he would get wholesale orders while he was sleeping in the night uh the like three hours he got and he would then learn how much bread he had to make for that morning wow at 8 a.m so he had to guess how much starter to refresh the night before uh and then he had to be at delivery at 8 a.m and he was doing a sourdough process so really it was just it was really crazy it was absolutely crazy and and the one wholesale account that required 8 a.m delivery every single day of the week was a stickler like if you were late they were texting you they were and and meanwhile your oven barely works and so like 
I and, was, oh, and also you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It, well, because and this is like the system that you you learned that you were taught. This is like the first like bakery, obviously, that you right worked in. <laughs> and, and, and like the first couple months, it's like we're following what yeah. we were shown. But like Jared was actually really good at what he imparted. You know, in mm. two weeks, like what he imparted was he instilled a sense of confidence, which I don't think we deserved at all, but <laughs> he made us feel like we knew what we were doing and that we were going to be fine. And that like, not only were we going to be fine, but we were going to take proof to heights that he never dreamed of. Like he, he made us feel that way and made me believe that. And, and actually it, it turned out to happen, but. Uh, oh, well, it sounds, it sounds like a gift, like the way he. Oh, for sure. Gave that to you. The way, the way in which he gave it to you. Proof was the like the most gracious but also ridiculous gift that I've ever been given. <laughs> like, but but it, it's a strange thing because he literally handed us what our life would become, mm. you know, and and that's odd. Like that's not an everyday experience. Uh, it, Jared, like. It- it did feel kind of special. Like, you know, mm. he was like very burned out, but there was like such a sense of peace around, you know, him and his wife, like, and their even their seven kids, like it was just very peaceful. Mm. And like, it did feel very special. Like he was handing us like his baby and like entrusting us with this. So. Well, that's got to, I, I, like I said, I feel like that probably made all the difference. I mean, didn't it just be like, all right, guys, here it is. Peace out. You know, <laughs> don't, don't call me. But it sounded like he was very gracious with his time. And in two weeks, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it, you know, it's more than he, I guess, needed to give you or yeah, he really could have given you less. He didn't need to, he didn't need to do anything he needed, he did. Like, first of all, he could have, he could have asked for a price point much higher than he did. Like he Basically, when I met with him, he said, I just really want to get back what I spent on all this equipment. Like mm. he, he didn't, he didn't give us proof to like gain something in return. He, he just wanted to find somebody that would, love that it. would love mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which you guys clearly did. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, I, I mean, love is definitely the right characterization because it's, it's like a marriage. It's like, it's it's really rough a lot of times and then then a lot of times it's like blows your way it's uh, proof just proof has that that in it and it and it has had it from from the first few moments so you know we we went into that first fall just grinding like mm. ridiculous grinding meanwhile i was still working my other business and amanda was still working at her job uh we brought on our first employees in september uh, and, and that's also a really strange thing because when you barely know what you're doing and you're hiring people to bake with you, uh, the, the interesting thing is that those relationships sadly were, were more temporary than they may have been. Like we believe that we probably would still have some of those original people that worked with us in that year if we were where we are now. Uh, mm. and, and in general, like we've had, our, our people have stayed with us for a long time, typically. Um, but that first season was just rough because we were all learning together. Mm-hmm. Yet there, there is like an authority and a pecking order. It was a crazy time. The employees had to 
uh, walk through our house to use the bathroom. So uh, the, the bathroom that we had was like the same bathroom that our kids use. Um, and, and it neighbored our bedroom wall. Um, so proof really quickly became a 24 hour a day thing by October of that first year. Like we were feeding that oven that could take eight loaves an hour, but we were, we were selling so much at the two markets. I joined a second market against Jared's judgment. He's like, (laughs) Oh yeah. Before he left, I was like, should I, should I apply for the Phoenix public market? So that was really like my business experience before was just like grow, grow, grow. That's mm-hmm. what you do in business. Just grow. Um, oh man. <laughs> it, that was the, the biggest conflict Amanda and I have had is, is that is me being on the gas pedal and her saying, John, this is not the type of thing you even need to be on the gas pedal for. Like start hitting the brakes because <laughs> oh, yeah. you do, like there's something here. Where are you here. going and why so fast? <laughs> mm-hmm. Because proof has been that like this, this city doesn't have enough bakers and you know, we, I'm, I'm sort of weaving another story. in now we were not that great at baking in the beginning, but we did really want to put out quality stuff. So we started investing in ingredients that uh, we, we had a little bit, more ability to get things done as two people than Jared did as a single person. Mm-hmm. So like we started to organize the ordering and the the invoicing and the paperwork, which we were really good at from our previous jobs. Like we got the books in order and we got, mm-hmm. we got all that like business stuff, like really dialed in. And, and as a result, like we had a little bit of extra time, uh, then we could invest that time at least into like upgrading ingredients. So the first thing I did while we, I already had started obsessing over trying to get a honeycomb pattern, um, a honeycomb pattern on, on a croissant, but it Mm -hmm. would be a year before that would happen. Uh, The one thing I I knew I could do uh, with a sourdough croissant is get better chocolate in it. Uh, So we reached out to a local chocolatier and, and um, she makes bean to bar uh, chocolate uh, oh. origin. And she agreed to make us custom molded bars to fit our croissants. It was like five months in. Um, and, and that was the, one of the first like baby steps we would take uh, to, to sort of like really entangling into the local food economy, trying to source as much uh, as small and local and like well done as possible. Mm. So, yeah, no, that was one of my questions was like, you know, how in those beginning years or since you've taken over, you know, how, the ways that you guys have grown or developed proof and, and it sounds like getting in there and finding better, better ingredients, you know, making these connections, you know, you're growing the, the business from the inside and, yeah, what other what other ways? Yeah, did did you guys kind of grow from where you took over? So that's all like that's all the positive stuff that's happening and and like the stuff that was in our wheelhouse, and then like the developmental stuff within the garage. We started investing in our space really from the get go. It was just four walls that weren't air conditioned, you know, weren't weren't sealed, weren't insulated. It, the, the garage had a big ledge around the the perimeter, which, you know, was a tripping hazard. There was no bathroom. There's, 
uh, there's no plumbing, there's nothing. Uh, so one of the things we, we started doing was, uh, just building, uh, mm. and that continues to this day. We're about to, we're almost three years in and we're closing in on the, the last phase of construction on this facility, um, that we've been building ever since day one, uh, started wow. small. Um, but like, it was just, you work from three in the morning until not nine. Like I pitched to Amanda, it was more like, yeah, that was, that was the first, it was funny because before Jared even left, it was like the final Saturday bake or Friday night bake. And John had taken left to take like a little nap because he was going to do the whole like marathon thing. And <laughs> uh, we loaded some bread into the oven and like just had like two minutes to sit down. <laughs> like he, I must have let out some like big long sigh or something because he turned to me and he was like, <laughs> so how are you feeling about this? <laughs> um, yeah, but to that point, like Amanda says, marathon thing. And, you know, when we first took proof on it, it was in the summer in Phoenix, the slow season. Uh, yeah. And I do this every year. Every slow season, I start getting really eager. Like, like, oh, like <laughs> a little bit of space opens up. John's like trying to fill it. <laughs> and and wow. so like we immediately start growing in that summer so by the time fall hit, it was like the floodgates opened up. We were, we were way more than we could handle. Uh, I remember Jared saying before he left, like, I remember asking him, so what does busy season look like? And he's like, oh, you know, I, I start, he's very matter of fact about this. I start in the morning at 3 a.m. on Friday and uh, I finish usually around 3 p.m. on Saturday afternoon after I can get back from the market and clear down. And, and I remember sort of like thinking, oh, okay. Uh, but it didn't really hit me until later that he meant that there's no rest or breaks or sleep involved in that. It's, it's a, like you start and you're, you're just hand mixing and, and laminating and you're, you're trying to get from step to step in 20 to 30 different product lines on their own independent schedules. And you're trying to hit deadlines of like, you need to be out of the house by then. And you're filling wholesale orders that aren't coming in until mid bake. Um, it, it was, it was crazy. It was. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is though, I find it ironic <laughs> is that, you know, you guys are described or describe yourselves as a micro bakery when this doesn't obviously sound at all like small scale or, or far from it. And, and, you know, your production levels, you know, you're, you're baking for several farmers markets. Um, you know, that's another conversation. Uh, what, what is a micro bakery, but maybe, maybe you guys can paint a, a clearer picture, maybe if, by describing maybe a typical week at proof, what, what the, that looks like and maybe a typical yeah. routine. Well, so, so it starts with sourcing. We, we get our flour from our local stone mill, uh, in Queen Creek, which is a neighboring town. Uh, we built a relationship with them early on. They, uh, have really helped us save time on our process by also 
um, doing some of the blending for us um, at the mill. So we, we for a long time were playing with a lot of their heritage grains that are Arizona grown and trying to come up with whole grain blends that we really liked working with and, and felt that the bread performed well with. Uh, uh, Queen Creek, is that um, Hayden Flour Mills? It is. It's Hayden oh, yeah, Flour Yeah, form, former guest. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. They, they are they're really important partners with us. Uh, and, you know, we, we consider ourselves partners in, in building a local grain economy with them. Um, so... So it starts there, but we typically uh, do our administrative work on Mondays, uh, any ordering. Uh, we spend a lot of time planning uh, now. This, this wasn't always the case, but you know nowadays Amanda and I spend a lot of time planning. So we look at the kind of performance at the markets uh, the, the week before. Mm-hmm. We uh, have sort of uh, established some analytics over time that we that we use to figure out how much bread to make for the next week Uh, and and so we do that on monday we uh do any shopping that we need to do for the bakery um and and then we also meet together and uh, and talk as partners uh we've been trying to we've been trying to have a forum that we can just kind of get all the business stuff out of the way so that the rest of the time we can be relationship building. We, we have to spend a lot of our time like working on our relationships so that we can tolerate each other in work and (laughs) your personal relation, not your relationship with your customers. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. and then I have to probably spend in more time than, than, than typical just, hashing things out with one another because we're working in such close proximity. And, you know, if, if not, I think we're like, oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you guys are, you're living 24 hours, you're working 24 hours to get, you know, there's, yeah. I mean, that's not uh, typical. Uh, not that it's never been done, but yeah, that's, you know, a unique uh, dynamic I'd imagine. Yeah. So then, so that's our Monday, uh, Tuesday is the start of our production week. Uh, since everything we do is is sourdough, we actually are even uh, we've now been able to get to the point that we're mixing some of the doughs that won't be baked off until Friday night on Tuesday, uh, namely our our sourdough croissants, uh, which are a, a big part of our our business. Uh, we We sort of built that over time because originally that product was mixed on Friday morning, laminated like 10 p.m. on Friday night, proofed uh, only for a few hours during the night and then baked off in a hurry for market like only an hour before it had to leave the door. Uh, and it's still baked off like, you know, last thing on Friday, uh, but we can stretch that process out throughout the week. And it, so so we're mixing on on Tuesday, we're mixing all the croissant dough for Saturday we're mixing bread dough for the next day for Wednesday. Uh, yeah, we, so we we have a like one Wednesday night market, and then the majority of our markets are on Saturday. We have we've um, stepped up it stepped up to like five markets now. Wow, <laughs> that's that's crazy. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah so so typically a, a Tuesday is like we'll mix 120 sourdough loaves. Um, and we'll mix what turns out to be about 2000 
uh, croissants uh, in different varieties. The, the mixed portion will be done on Tuesday. We then like we bulk ferment the the croissant dough after after splitting it into uh, into all the blocks. Uh, we prep butter. We work on all of our like pastry fillings for the week. So uh, like anything that we're doing, any specials we're running, uh, we 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 usually test some sort of a loaf special early in the week. Uh, it, it's our time to be more creative. Uh, we tweak processes uh, in that like micro bake that we do for Wednesdays mm-hmm. uh, to sort of test how we can improve our Saturday processes. Uh, so we sort of use Wednesday as a test run for Saturday always. Um, and then, so that's, that's how Tuesday runs. Uh, we typically only have one crew member and Amanda and I in the bakery on Tuesday. Uh, and then, then uh, I'm always in the bakery at night refreshing uh, uh, Harriet, which is our, the name of our sourdough starter. Mm-hmm. Are you guys a hundred percent like sourdough? Yeah. Uh, bakery. We, we make like 30 different things through sourdough um, wow. buns, uh, breads. In the very um, beginning, Jared was using like we were making brioche in the very beginning and he was using yeast to help that process along. But um, we kind of like, the more that we started finding out about sourdough and the benefits of, you know, the long fermentation and the natural leavening, like the more and more we wanted to drive towards that mm-hmm. um, from a health standpoint. Yeah. Also, I'm, I'm a total nerd and <laughs> on certain things. And for whatever reason, sourdough like became a, uh, became a channel of exploration that, that still to this day is, is so fascinating to me and seemingly endless. Uh, we, we had the opportunity to send one of our original crew members to a bakery in Tasmania, uh, the, after the first year, uh, uh, who also work on sourdough croissants, uh, super interesting to compare notes because not that many people do sourdough croissants, uh, so, so it, it was a, there's something ridiculously challenging about it. Like I could never get the sourdough croissant to proof correctly yet. I thought that the answer was in lamination and, and it was in proofing all along, which it, which is our namesake. So it, it's just fun how that all worked out. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, so, so sourdough only, um, I want to come back to kind of like, yeah, that, that the dork part of it, the whole, you know, <laughs> geeking out on the sourdough and the, the kind of the educational side, but yeah, what, tell me quick. Yeah. Wednesday. I think we're on Wednesday. Yeah. So yeah. we're on Wednesday, Wednesday. Perhaps, perhaps I should say this because it's going to get very, like very detailed <laughs> if John does it. So on Wednesday, we're baking for the Wednesday night market. Um, we're also mixing again, some more bread. So we, um, offer like sliced loaves like for people for the freezers and things like that so we try to bake those early so they have time to cool enough for us to slice them um so then at on wednesday night so that so what you're saying is we're we're mixing the bread that we're going to bake on thursday that we're ultimately going to slice on friday right uh because it needs time to cool to slice so so we get all of our slice stuff mixed on wednesday yes Mm -hmm. And then Wednesday night is the market. Um, Thursday, again, we're baking um, 
baking and that's John's like giant mix. He's got like how many? Yeah, and Wednesday actually, just to go back to Wednesday, we laminate and oh, right. uh, and roll out and shape like all two thousand croissants on Wednesday. Half uh, of them. Wow. Uh, sorry, half of them. So we we laminate. We prepare all our butter sheets. We uh, and, and then then as a group, we we do like about one hundred and twenty. Um, uh, sourdough breads. We do all of our sandwich loaves uh, in the '60s or so, uh, and then and then we get onto croissants. And so we we you know uh, we do several different types of things with croissant dough, from the chocolate croissants to standard croissants to almond croissants that we do differently than most. Uh, to Danishes, which we always change up. We we do Danish specials all all year, different seasonal stuff like right now we're in citrus season and we actually live in a citrus grove so we're doing lemon curd from, oh, from yeah. local lemon trees uh you know that kind of thing um so wednesday is is a big pastry day um we're using that dough sheeter which we just got a little over a year ago uh we were hand laminating um up until the point that we reached like 1300 croissants a week and finally <laughs> decided a dose was probably good. I was like laminating 40 hours a week. At, oh yeah. my gosh. 16 hour days. It was nuts. Um, wow. Yeah. So then Thursday we're baking and mixing. Also um, rolling out the second half of all of our croissants. Um, and then on Friday, Friday's like our big push. So we get everything ready for Saturday. We're baking. Mm. We're, we actually have one final mix on Friday because we don't have enough Banatons right now to do it all ahead of time so we're just like cascading through um baking pastries and then a bunch of like packaging logistics and getting ready wow well i mean you've got to have it sounds like you guys uh keep yourselves busy and you, your schedule is very demanding and i just imagine you've got to have to make all of this work you know You've got to have a passion for your product and, and sourdough, and and it's obviously you do. I mean, I saw a video recently. Um, you guys had like a team come and visit you, and they, you know, you give them a tour of the bakery, and you, you did a really good job about on it, like just kind of educating them on everything from the benefits of sourdough to the science, and just really kind of expanding their understanding of naturally leavened bread and and so i mean it's clear that you guys have that passion um you know and it's not just like it's not just the product like we are super passionate about the product but then it's it's the 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 saturdays and the wednesdays where mm. we're actually bringing that product to the people like john mentioned we had a wholesale account that was seven days a week in the very beginning and and like in analyzing where we were taking proof we i mean a large part of that decision was like, well, where do we get the most benefit? You know, where do mm -hmm. we feel most appreciated? And it's, it's in bringing it to the people. And actually, the so the one day we didn't talk about was Saturday. And rather than going through, you know, the routine of Saturday, which is, which is truck market truck for me, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll leave it at, at that. Uh, and it's it's a long day, but it but the the most important thing about Saturday is the people. And I just want to share yesterday with you. Uh, yeah. So so here we are. It's February of 2020, and 
it rains on a Saturday in Phoenix, torrential downpour. I guess it like broke some sort of records. Uh, it did? Yeah. Oh. My parents were saying it broke some sort of records. Uh, uh, anyway, us getting rain on a Saturday is awful because we've worked all week. Yeah. We, we, as you know now, you know, we're mixing things on Tuesday. It's really hard to make a decision to reduce production yeah. on on maybe getting rain on Saturday morning way back in Tuesday. So, you know, we mixed our 2000 some croissants this week and we showed up with, well, no, we didn't show up with 2000 croissants. We made a last minute pivot to King cake for, uh, we, we changed King cake. We, we made a laminated dough King cake and it was awesome. (sighs) Sounds delicious. But we we made like thirty of those, which replaced two hundred and forty croissants, and and it was a great thing because they sold out. Um, but it was an awful day. It was raining. Everything was muddy. Uh, half of our customers didn't come to market that normally do. Uh, although the ones that come out on a rainy day, there is something that happens between all the vendors and between the customers and the vendors. There's just a, an appreciation and a love and a community mm. where you're like, yeah, this is the local food community. These people came out here in the rain, both mm-hmm. all the vendors that come. So anyway, that, that was, that was the day. And so, so you don't really have a bad day, even though, you know, we, we actually probably lost money this week um, because, because of the way it went. Um but then I did have a bad day when I got home. I, I was really exhausted. I got home later than normal. It was 6 p.m. by the time I pulled in. And I opened up Facebook to a negative Facebook review. Oh. <laughs> well, that's what you get for reading Facebook reviews. But Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and the thing is, we I, – I don't know. I, I think I'm like some sort of a OCD perfectionist in some way because – we we have like a pretty good uh, situation on Facebook with reviews. I think we've only ever had two other negative reviews, um, one of which was changed later on. Uh, like we literally won a customer over who called an early version of our sourdough bad biscuit dough, and then <laughs> and then and then later on uh, came back and said that that it was one of the best breads in, in the state. Um, and uh, so anyway, but. <laughs> Which was actually what's cool about that is um, actually one of our regulars for Wednesday night um, reached out to that guy. I was like, hey man, you should give him a try again. And he came, came out and tried our bread again. And that's what ended up. Yeah. Well, and the story yesterday is the same. So this lady leaves a negative review and, I decided to write an Instagram post where I got a little bit vulnerable and I started it by saying, I'm going to get a little bit vulnerable. And I just, <laughs> I just described the feeling of coming home from a really long day to a thing that would stain our, our reputation for potentially ever. Like yeah. it's a thing that doesn't go away. And that's interesting. That's something I, you know, I know, I know that's out there in the cottage baker world, you know, like having that shared experience. That's not something I've really heard too much about or so, not many people have like, yeah, you know, reflected on it in that way. But then, but then, so I, I, I like 
took a shower and, and I decided to take a wholesale order today. So I had to go into the bakery and, and laminate like one block of croissant dough for 40 croissants. Um, and, and so I got distracted and all of a sudden I look at my phone and it is just blowing up like more activity from both Instagram and Facebook than I've seen in a long time. Just this outpour of love from mm-hmm. our, from our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, we got something like 20 positive Facebook reviews <laughs> in response to the one negative Wow. which eliminated the ding to our score in one evening. Um, it, it was incredible. And then so many people in those messages, the comments, and they said, hey, if you have leftovers, we, we'd like to come buy them if we could. Uh, and so last night we went to bed and we were like, why don't we just throw a garage sale today? And we That's did. Cool. Like 80 people came and wow. all the leftovers that, that we came home with, uh, it was really cool. Well, I mean, that's, you know, I wonder how you sustain something like that, you know, the, the schedules and the baking and the, the hours and obviously it, it's the customers, you know, and they've got a, it sounds like they re-energize you and they just give you, you know, that push to start over every week and, and, uh, yeah, and that's something I've heard from other people and, in, in, you know, in the little interactions I've had with my own like bread community here in my town, it's like, yeah, man, it's just like that personal connection is really what makes it all worth it. And, and it sounds like, I don't know if you would agree with that, but it sounds like that's what's like, yeah, give it, it's your major motivation. Yeah. A hundred percent. And the other, the other big motivator for us, I think is just that, Somewhere along the way, we decided to get on a mission to do this, to support ourselves and to support our family and to build a lifestyle that we wanted. And so, you know, we're working this hard to invest in our future. We're working Mm -hmm. hard to invest in our home and in our kids. And, uh, you know, we, we worked hard enough this year that we could provide medical benefits to our two bakers and ourselves for for the first time in a couple of years. Like wow. it was a, it was, it's a really expensive, but, mm. um, but like we're, but now but it's important to us. Like we want to be able to create a space where we can take care of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like starting with, with our own children, my, we have a, an appointment at two specialists for, for my youngest tomorrow. Uh, we've, she's been having some difficulty with mobility and and it's concerning a lot of us. Um, And, you know, we're just really happy to be in a position that our business has given us an opportunity Mm -hmm. to provide for our families. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, not something all cottage bakers can do. You know, it's, it's typically not something that I, I, at least I've heard that's like, you know, able to provide that much, you know, to, you know, to other employees and benefits. And, but that's amazing that you guys have been able to, you know, grow your, your business in that way. And, um, and a part of the conversation, I think that we've had, I know on Instagram, you know, messages back and forth is, is kind of regarding cottage laws and, and, you know, the kind of difference, I guess, between California and Arizona. And, um, can you tell us real quickly, you know, maybe 
how you guys have navigated that a little bit, um, the cottage yeah. baking laws in Arizona? Well, so I listened to your your uh, conversation with Adam uh, from the UK. Uh, yeah, Adam Pager. He said that when he was when he was first starting with season with seasons, uh, it it was kind of like getting on a list. And Arizona is more like that, where mm. where you pay a fee and you get on a list, and you know they they make sure that you take some tests and um, you, you give them whatever assurances they want. And, and they have the ability to come inspect you if they, if they'd like. Uh, but there's a lot of bakers on this list and, and there's not a lot of them doing mm-hmm. a lot of anything. And so it's, it's a little bit unregulated here. And, and, and as a result, it has provided a channel for some incredible baking, uh, Don Guerra from Barrio Bread in Tucson yeah. is an Arizona cottage baker, mm-hmm. uh, successfully starting two brands um, in, in Arizona in his baking career, if not more. I, I just know of two, um, but but his his bakery Barrio Bread is a cottage bakery ultimately um, in his origin, and and he has an international reputation for what he does. Um, so there's something really amazing about Arizona's. Uh, a regulatory environment for what we do. Just having gone through this or currently going through this experience uh, myself, you know, it just seems like there's, it just gives you more opportunity to start something and start businesses and employ people. And, uh, you know, where it's just from, in my experience thus far, you know, you have to get permitted to even, you know, start this. And it's kind of dependent on, on one person for the whole county and, and there's no list. And, and it's just, you know, I, I'm waiting for someone to just basically push through some paperwork. Well, to- and the, the alternative, which for you guys and for anyone who's, you know, in a more regulated environment is, uh, really, uh, laws that that say, well, you need to take in a ginormous financial risk if you want to be a baker mm-hmm. uh, and do your own thing. You, you need to go pay somebody thousands of dollars a month in rent, uh, sign a long contract before you even have really any traction. It, it, otherwise, like stay in your home. Don't yeah. let too many people come. Well, and that's something I think you pointed out, put it well, is that, you know, California law is basically pigeonhole, you said, cottage bakers into hobby, you know, as opposed to making, you know, being, giving them the tools or, you know, ability to transform it into like a profession or a, or a larger business It kind of confines yet, you. And yet, you know, having hosted Lisa Clayton from Beach Cottage Bakery yeah, and having followed Bonnie and... Uh, and Kate from Kate's Bread and, and all these people that, that are cottage bakers, they're, they're not hobbyists by any not at all. Yeah. Of the imagination. You know, they, these guys are people I look up to, um, you know, and so it's... Uh, well, and that might be maybe where the county-to-county enforcement changes in California. I certainly know that some counties in California are, are much more like Arizona or your guys' scenario. Um so yeah, and that's the whole nother, <laughs> you know, uh, hurdle is to you know, oh, luck of the draw, I guess, and in, into how they enforce those cottage laws in your county. But yeah, uh, would you would you say 
I guess it kind of kind of flows into the next topic of you just mentioned Lisa Clayton. Do you have a lot of uh, cottage bakers come and visit you to kind of get some advice or guidance on how to run their cottage bakery? So I'm going to take this opportunity right now to uh, offer up a proposal to not just cottage bakers, but the greater artisan baking community that listens to this podcast. Okay. <laughs> What's that? Early on in proof, I proposed to Amanda that we start a baker's exchange. Uh, and we did this by sending one of our crew members to Tasmania for an entire summer uh, to learn at another bakery. Although the way that I see baker's exchange is like, I'll send you somebody or me or, or, or Amanda. And, and if you have the capacity to come yourself or send someone in return, uh, you know, if, if I deal with another baker that has an employee and if we want to kind of like swap employees for a while, I can keep paying my employee. They can keep paying theirs. Mm-hmm. Just figure out the housing for however long we want. I, I'm just proposing that bakers visit each other. And we've already <laughs> been doing this. Uh, Lisa Clayton spent a week here. Uh, there's a baker in Flagstaff who spent a week here. Cool. But it's just the beginning. Uh, we, we love connecting with everybody on Instagram. I think that there could be more to this. I think is this that. is this different from like the stage uh, concept that a lot of uh, amateurs yeah, okay. will, or or even professionals will do? Yeah, I have no interest in in like an indentured servant for <laughs> for, for any period of time. Like, I, I want to collaborate and learn from, and also and also impart what I've learned with other people that are as passionate about this as as we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a lot going on as you've heard. So, you know, we certainly wouldn't mind uh, an extra pair of hands from, yeah. from uh, and the people that have come uh, and the people that we've visited, because when we travel, we always pop into bakeries. We went into Wayfair um, in San Diego earlier this year. Yeah, uh, Crystal. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we didn't get to meet Crystal, although I think I chatted with her later on. Uh, uh we're, we, we're going to grain gathering this year again. I went a couple of years ago. It's an incredible way to meet, uh, meet bakers. Uh, I met people from all over the world in, in Northern Washington, and I still stay in touch with those people. Uh, it's, it's, I, I think the baking community is incredible. What was the name of that conference again? Uh, grain gathering grain gathering that's right okay yeah, yeah. No, I'll, uh, well yeah let's if you guys come up with something of you know like a i don't know start start something on your web page or you know i'd love to be a resource on my website and and be able to maybe share something maybe develop that a little bit more because it sounds like something that other bakers i think would obviously be interested you know- in doing What's cool about our particular situation is that our season is opposite from a lot of bakeries around the world at where we're really busy in the cold time for other bakeries. I, I at least assume that a lot of bakeries are busy in the summer where we're, that's kind of like our slow time here. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Do, do you, do you know, like our, our bakeries? Uh, I couldn't tell you firsthand, um, but well, certainly, I would imagine it's different in uh, the southern hemisphere. If you're if you're looking to get some like Australian bakers exchanging, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I think that's a really cool concept. And and I know like Crystal had talked about kind of like a 
uh, a bread trail, you know, where, where bakers kind of, California at least, kind of visit, you know, go down the coast and visit different bakeries. And, and maybe we can partner that with like a baker's exchange concept and keep it going all the way out to Arizona. So yeah, yeah that's it, a it can be idea. formal too. Like it can just be, it, I really like if something just starts happening, it's going to become a thing. And that, that's what we've learned from proof is, is Jared planted a seed and that seed germinated into a, a small plant. And now it's a, a big tree. Uh, and, and it's still a pretty small tree because there's billion dollar bakeries out there that we're fighting against. You know, there's the 15 ingredient bread out there. We make a sourdough sandwich loaf that has five ingredients. It, and it was a campaign at grain gathering actually, uh, uh, where the, the grain gathering, you know, the organization that puts it together, um, which is Washington state university, uh, the bread lab, they, they have an initiative for real bread, uh, that, that is approachable, the approachable loaf. Yeah. Uh, I just read that article. That was really yeah. interesting. Mm -hmm. So we also made an approachable loaf. We made a sourdough sandwich bread and, and I got to tell you after six months of having it, it is connecting to a bunch of people that otherwise were eating garbage bread. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited about that, uh, that, uh, you know, we have these really cool artisan loaves, flour, water, salt, but not everybody is into that. Is into that. Yeah. And I think we should be real about that. I, I think we should be real that people have grown up their whole lives eating yeah. wonder bread. And they're not just going to switch from wonder bread to flour, water, salt, you know, all the time. Mm hmm. Well, yeah. And I think that part of that uh, approachable loaf concept and in some, and I'm sure it's something you guys were able to incorporate with your bread was being able to connect with your local uh, grain economy. And, and for you guys, that's Hayden flour mills and just to be able to make those connections with people like, Hey, this not only is this uh, healthier for you, but this is like made locally with flour from a local mill and, and grown from grain from Arizona and just you know it's just all these these connections they just kind of expand outward well, um, a, a question we get a lot of times is why don't you just do a brick and mortar bakery like we, we get this question all the time uh, I'm sure yeah the, the real reason is right now Amanda and I are approaching a point that we are reaching a a more normal workload, believe it or not. Like it, it, it's been a long road, but mm. we're getting to the point that our weeks are, are not all that unattainable anymore. There, we can still have time for ourselves and we can rejuvenate and, uh, and spend time with our family. Mm -hmm. uh, but also like the next step outside of this is probably not being able to know as many of our customers as we know. Like we, we have a lot of customers, but we know a lot of our customers because mm -hmm. we're out there interacting with them and, it, you know, doing community with them. Uh, and, and we sort of fear the brick and mortar thing because, you know, mm -hmm. if, it, if it multiplies into like six production days a week, I, I just can't imagine how we could continue to, I know people are doing it. Like, I, I guess Chad's doing this to some extent from Tartine, like still putting out great bread, I guess. I, but it's so big. It's just so it's, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around, you know, why, why wouldn't, why, why not just keep it to a point yeah. that we can sort of still 
be a really big part of. You kind of feel like it comes at, that would come at the cost of your relationship with your customers. And, and the dough, like mm. my, my biggest competitor here in Phoenix, um, I recently heard somebody tell me that he, he goes into the bakery and makes sure that he bakes once a week so that he is still a part of it. But the, I think the point there being that, that his business has grown to the point that it's really hard to even get in the bakery once a week. And I mean, I don't know. It, it, I just, I just don't know that we're ready for a level that takes us out of baking, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so ide- ideally, I guess, where would you guys see yourself in maybe the next five, 10 years? If it's not, maybe it is, maybe it's not a brick and mortar, but like, what's, what's your current vision, I guess, for your future? So my dad has spent, my parents have lived with us two winters in a row. I, I mentioned earlier that they, they're from Poland. Um, he's a builder, uh, really like he, he just can build every aspect of construction. My mom, uh, a great Great resource to have. (laughs) Yeah. My mom's a great mom. She, she like, she, she makes sure everybody's fed. She makes sure everybody's clothes. She makes sure everybody's and the bakery's laundry is done. They've been (laughs) two winters in a row. And over the course of the last few winters, we've added on to our original two car garage. We've We've made a loading area for, for markets. Uh, our truck is tucked away uh, behind the fence soon um, to where it's not even like in our neighbor's face anymore. <laughs> we have enough space for everything we do. We, uh, my dad built me two walk-in coolers. One of them can convert into a proofer uh, on demand. Wow, that's amazing. He built me an oven room last year, and this year he built me uh, – an RV garage basically, but, but it's not an RV garage. It's actually a place to store the four pallets of flour we typically have on hand at a given moment and, and to uh, put all the stuff that we bake when we bake it. Um, so we're comfortable here. And right now the goal is to stabilize, mm-hmm. um, try to pay, pay off our, our house eventually try to like, you know, it's the American dream, right? Like it's just, uh, owning your little piece of, of this country and doing your thing and being in your community. Uh, we're, we're trying to actually make this thing happen through mm-hmm. something as, uh, earth earthbound and humble and, and traditional and difficult as making bread. Yeah. Well, it's, I've, you know, I've been following you guys for a while now and then just seeing, seeing you guys, uh, grow and and just kind of seeing yeah as you as you build on and expand a little bit or or make you know make things uh work better for yourselves come in getting kind of into a better groove of you know how your your work week flows it's just it's cool to see uh people's journeys and and how everybody kind of approaches baking or cottage baking differently and and kind of where they see that going and it's, it's it's just different for everybody and so anyway, I appreciate you guys and your your story and being able to share and be vulnerable as as you have been um, with your your journey and, and your story and and uh, what, what are some ways? How can people uh, find your bread? Um, yeah, what's the best way for people to connect with you guys? So I think I think first and foremost, visit our website and and if you want to take a, a further step in connecting with us, sign up for our newsletter. Uh, we send a newsletter every week and try to try to make it 
you know, it, we try to tell a little bit of our story. We, we always update our customers on what's coming up, uh, what, what the season is right now, what, uh, how we're incorporating the season into, into what we're baking. Uh, and then all the markets are always listed on our newsletter. Uh, we attend five weekly farmers markets in Phoenix. So if you visit Phoenix, uh, on a Saturday morning, don't let a Saturday morning pass without coming to a local farmer's market, and that's where you'll find us. So um, we do Scottsdale, downtown Phoenix, uptown Gilbert, and we do the Mesa Farmer's Market. So if you find yourself in this uh, part of the country or if you already live here, mm-hmm. uh, come out to the farmer's market. Uh, on Wednesday night, we're in Gilbert uh, at uh, the farm at Agritopia, and we do a little pop-up there 5 to 8 p.m., uh, so that's where you can find us. Uh, we also are pretty active on social media, just proof bread. Okay. Well, yeah, I definitely will tag you guys. I'll, I'll throw your website up there and yeah. And I, I love the Baker's exchange idea and it sounds like something that would be fun to, to develop and, and see how that could, uh, benefit, you know, bakers around the world, around the country and kind of just seeing different models of how different bake cottage bakeries work and, and uh, so I really want to like part by telling you that we, we really love what you're doing. And uh, the people that have already been on your show, I think I already mentioned this, but I'll say again, are the people that, that we look up to uh, and you've managed to uh, talk to so many of pe- these amazing bakers from around the world. I, I really encourage you to continue on the journey you're on of connecting with, uh, with, with them. And, and, uh, we are so honored that, that you decided to have us on. Well, thank you. That means a lot, John and Amanda. And I, th- I appreciate, uh, you saying that and, and it's, yeah, I, I love these conversations cause they, I mean, I, I want them to inspire other people to bake better bread, but obviously what happens is I I've been inspired <laughs> along the way and, and I'm, I'm going down my own journey here, path to cottage bakery and, but uh, it, it's you guys and, and your uh, stories that have really motivated me. And, and so I appreciate you guys coming on tonight. And I can't wait to, to share your story with everybody. And, and uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. Great. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. You Thanks, too. Mike. All right. Bye. There are things that are stable So steady and sure Like a strong dining table That's weathered and warm Would you dine in my table If I asked you to Come over, cause I love having people here right now. I'm asking you, so come over. Come over soon. Come over.
could be around me But I don't feel good enough To show the inside for anyone you see I can see you've had trouble For near most of your life Well, we belong to each other So I'll ask you another time To my table tonight So come over Some things are so stable, so steady and sure, like a strong dining table, though weathered and worn. Won't you dine in my table if I ask you to? Come over, Sala.